If you would take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, that's where we're going through. Let me set the stage for this text. If you were here last week, you remember Jesus is with his disciples. They're in Judea and they're hanging around together. And he overhears this little conversation that his disciples are having with John's disciples. And they're trying to figure out whose baptism is most significant. And yeah, but at the end of the day, who's going to be the leader? And uh, Jesus, aware of this conversation, the text says, I'm in John chapter 4. Look at back with me at verse 3 for a moment. When the Lord learned of this, what? The conversation. He left Judea, took his disciples, and went on a little excursion. As he was heading up to Galilee, he wanted to take them on a field trip through Samaria. We talked about that last week and how strange that was. And it's all for a purpose, a really, really significant purpose. And we unfold even more of it today. Let's start in verse 27 of chapter 4 is where we're at today. Just then, the disciples returned. They'd gone away for lunch and they went to McDonald's and they were coming back. And they were surprised to find Jesus talking with a woman. I think that's an underplay. I think it's shocked. But no one asked for good reason. They didn't want to ask him, why are you talking with her? Because they knew they wouldn't come out of that conversation good. So they just kind of kept quiet. And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, I want you to see a man who's told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and they made their way towards Jesus. Meanwhile, his disciples were urging him, hey, we got some McDonald's here for you. Are you hungry? And he said, no, I want to live. And uh, <laughs> I, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples were looking at each other, completely bewildered. And they said, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me to finish his work. Underline that one finish his work. That's what Jesus said. My food is to finish the work of the father. Do you not say four more months more and then the harvest? Whoa, not even close. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages and even now he harvests the crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper rejoice together. Thus the saying, one sows, the other reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Christ, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for a few days, wasn't planning on it, but he did. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I love fall. Fall is, uh, I like transitions, I get bored. And so by the time I get to the end of August, I'm kind of like, okay, done with the heat, let's move on. And uh, so I actually don't really even mind rain eh, when it's four days of just nothing, but you know, one inch every day. I look at some sunny picture on my screen. But I, I really like the fall. I love the trend, transition and the tr cool weather in the, the morning. I love the leaves. I like football season. I like hunting. I delight in Thanksgiving. Everything about fall I really like. 
When it comes to fall in the scriptures, in this agrarian culture, fall is harvest time. It's true for us too. Probably most things are actually harvested by the time we get to fall. But, you know, late apples, a few of those things, um, hazelnuts, they just got harvested not too long ago. So it's still harvest season. But there's another sense of which in the scriptures, fall is a reckoning time. Harvest is a reckoning time. In other words, if you've sown, you're going to reap. If you haven't sown, you're not going to reap. But we're also aware in fall, for a lot of agricultural products, there's a very slim line between a bumper crop and bust. Oftentimes outside of your control. Weather issues, how much rain, when it comes, wind issues, all of that. And farmers who have any sense at all understand when it's harvest time, you got to be ready. If you're not ready and you miss that thing, man, you're, you're filing bankruptcy. You're selling. So nobody, when it's harvest time, goes, well, better get around to it. That's what Jesus has seen. He's recognizing in his disciples, they tend to be pushing things off. Why? Because they don't understand it's harvest time. For God, it's always harvest time. Doesn't matter where you're at. And maybe that was part of his point. He went to a place. I love the fact that he makes this statement in Samaria. It's the one place that the disciples would think, Jesus, what are we even going through here for? You don't want to save these people. No one wants them in the family tree. And he's there and he says to them, guys, you say four more months more and then harvest. In other words, Harvest is down the road. Harvest is when we get to Galilee. Harvest is when we go back to Judea. Harvest is when we're in Jerusalem. No, 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 no. Time out. You don't get it. No matter where you're at, it's harvest time. And God wants you to understand that he's given you and I a role in this. What is it? Jesus tells us. Verse 34. My food, said Jesus is to do the will of him who sent me and to do what? Finish his work. What that means is that you're never gonna go to any place. Samaria, you're you're not gonna go to a city. You're not gonna go to a neighborhood. You're not gonna go to a homeless camp where God hasn't already pre-visited you. Every place that you go, the prevening grace of God, the work of God has gone before you. Every event that you go to, every family conversation that you have, God has been there long before you have. And God is the one who says it's harvest time. And what I want you to do is finish. I want you to put a sickle to the wheat. I want you to go and put a ladder up and pluck the tree. I want you to go and trim the grapes. They're ready. God's been working on it. And what a lot of us have is what the disciples were wrestling with is, I know God, you came to save people, but it's probably down the road. I know God, you came to save individuals, but not these. I know God, you came to save people, but I've got to convince, no, 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 it's harvest time. And our job, Jesus says, is to be finishers. 
Not the ones who initiate faith, not the ones who get something going, not the ones who even break the ground. Jesus is in Samaria and he said, guys, even here, it's harvest time. And if you're going to finish well, there's some things you got to be able to do. Number one, Jesus says, if you're going to finish, and that's our job, it's what Jesus tells us in this text. He says, four more months? Oh no, guys, I tell you, open your eyes. Why? Because we're finishers. Open your eyes and take a look. What do you see? What did the disciples see? They saw a woman. Not supposed to talk to women, not in public. They saw a Samaritan. We're not supposed to be talking to Samaritan. Jesus said, you don't see a thing. Open your eyes. What do you really see? Do you see her thirst? Do you see the bankruptcy of her relationships? Do you see her hunger? Do you see her willingness to wrestle with the issues of worship? Do you see that? No, they didn't. Why? Because they were infatuated with everything other than what they were supposed to see. Open your eyes, he says. And whenever you walk into a situation, tell me what you see. Tell me, do you see the hunger of people today? If I were to believe what people are writing today, no one on today's college campuses is interested in God. If I were to believe what people write, Christians and non-Christians, what are today's college campuses? What have we been steadily being fed? A bunch of communists, a bunch of narcissists, a bunch of spiritually you know, uh, focused people on themselves, have no interest in God, no interest in the truth. And by the way, I can't find a Christian who is telling me at a national level, God is doing a great work on today's secular campuses. They've written them off. Quite candidly, I think the church has too. We've been discipled to hate them. We've been discipled to not expect anything. We've been discipled that God is done with them. He's done with the nation of the United States. Uh, we're going to into uh, perdition. We're going into tribulation. We have abandoned God. We took prayer out of the schools. Everything that we've done, that's all I hear. Nobody, nobody at a national level is saying, it's harvest time. God's going to save a bunch of people. The prevening work of God is doing a beautiful and glorious work. Now you have a choice and I have a choice. You can listen to all the pundits who are writing today or you can listen to Jesus. There really is a very different story. I'm convinced if we were to walk the streets with Christ on the University of Oregon or Oregon State or Portland State, doesn't matter. And we were to walk on those campuses and say, hey, Jesus, what do you see? He, he, he would say exactly what he said here. Open your eyes. It's harvest time. They're ripe. There's all kinds of people here who are being stirred by the Holy Spirit. There are all kinds of people here who are being drawn to the Father. There's all kinds of people here who are quietly praying in their dorm room. It's white. It's, it's harvest time. 
but you're going to look high and low to find anyone writing that today. And Jesus says, if you're going to be a finisher, you have to believe and you have to open your eyes and you have to believe that it is the harvest season. You have to believe that wherever you're at, Jesus would say, open your eyes, look. There are people that he's drawing to himself. It's not your responsibility ever to take a person from death to life. That's God's. It's not your responsibility to awaken a conviction of the Holy Spirit and of faith in a person. That's the Holy Spirit. It's John 16. God says, I'll take ownership of that. I will convict them of sin and righteousness and judgment. I will help them see the distance between a holy God and an unholy person. I will help them come to grips with how the fact that their independence has left them bankrupt. I will help them embrace the fact that all of the sexual relationships that they're involved in is going to lead them to nothing but herpes and a variety of other STDs. But it's not your and my responsibility. We're finishers. That's what Jesus said. We are those who come and proclaim the gospel and put the sickle to the wheat We are those who rejoice with those who have gone before us. Some of them are people, but a lot of them, I think in this sense, Jesus says, who's been hanging out in Samaria? Well, they they never had an evangelist crusade in Samaria. God was there. And I have to believe, God, that you're working, that you're planting, you're watering, and you want to use us today to close the deal. I have to believe Jesus, not all of the pundits, not all of those who are writing. I have to believe Jesus that his anticipation and expectation for our church, in particular for you and for me, is that it's harvest time. Oh, I think categorically we know. Yep, evangelists, these two guys down here, yep, they're going to lead all kinds of people to Christ. (laughs) You go get them. We'll fund you. Not that much. (laughs) But God's going to use them. Why? Because they have the gift of evangelism. Jesus didn't say that. He said, guys, open your eyes. God has been in Samaria long before you showed up. And there's more than just this woman. There's all kinds of people that God wants to draw to himself. When you drive around the city, is that what you see? I have to be very careful, to be honest with you, what I read. Because if I believe what I read, I write off every campus today because it's filled with nothing but communists. If I read and believe what I read, then I'm going to suggest that there is less than 2% on virtually any secular campus today of people that have any interest in Christ. If I believe what I read, then my investment is going to be anywhere other than the U.S. Maybe God's working in India. Maybe God's working in you know, Vietnam. But here, no, no, no. If I believe what I read, And then I come to this passage and I said, Jesus, if you walked down the streets of Portland that I've been trained to hate, that I've become disgusted with, 
that I've mocked. Jesus, would you walk down the streets of Portland and say, open your eyes, Mark. Open your eyes. There are thousands of people that I'm ready to put the sickle to. They're ready to place their faith in Christ. If I'm gonna finish, then I have to believe. And if you're gonna be a finisher, you have to choose which one you're gonna believe. Are you gonna believe all of those who are writing about the failure of the church, the impotency of the gospel? Or are you gonna believe your Lord and Savior who says, open your eyes? He said then, thirdly, I want you to pray. I was talking with a friend this past week and he was, we were talking about um, one of the, uh, the service areas of our church. It's a group of guys that every Saturday, these faithful individuals show up here and they're raking the leaves and they're getting everything ready. They mow the lawn. You say, what, what lawn? Well, there's a little bit of lawn and they, they, if they you know, have a little extra time, they mow the asphalt. But they, they, they save us probably thirty to $40,000 a year. Every year, these guys are so faithful. And he said, you know, they're getting a little older and um, somebody's trying to mess with me and call me in the middle of the sermon. I will talk with you after this sermon's done. No. And he was telling me that these guys are getting older. Now, if you're one of these guys, he's talking about somebody else. And he said, you know, Mark, we need to recruit some of these guys. And I realized as we were talking, I said, you know what? It's always been true. We've always had more work than workers. The problem has never been, are there people that want to come to Christ? That's not the issue Jesus said. The issue is what? We need more people sent. And yes, you can recruit them and we should and we can invite them. But Jesus' point is he tells his story in the other gospels is I want you to pray. The issue of workers is not about effective recruiting. It's about supernatural movements. Pray. Why? Because only a person who's led by God, who is inspired by God, who is moved by God will endure with God through some of the trials. What do you pray? Pray that they would be inspired. Pray that they would be equipped. Pray that they would be convicted. Pray that they would be enabled with supernatural gifting that when they share the gospel, people will respond. Pray that they will endure quite candidly. It's pretty easy to start things. It's a lot harder to finish. Pray that they would be faithful. Wouldn't quit. Pray. And when you pray, be willing to allow yourself to be an answer to your prayer. Go. He said in this text, I'm going to send you. I tell you, open your eyes. Thus the saying, one sows, one reaps. And I sent you, he says, verse 38, I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Now, we all have a category in our church. We know it. It's called missionary, maybe pastor. It's that person who is sent by the church, an evangelist sent by the church to evangelize the world. I don't think that's what he's talking about. That comes in Acts 1.8 where he talks about, I will send you to, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. But actually, that's not what he's talking about here. 
He's not talking about missionaries in this text. I don't think so. Because he's talking to his disciples. And by the way, those guys lived on average within about 25 to 30 miles of where they were born. So he's not even talking about, hey, I'm going to send you to Yemen. I'm going to send you to Saudi Arabia. I'm going to send you to Turkey. He's not there yet. He's talking about, I am sending you and I want you to go. And I want you to go where you and I go. And today we're in Samaria. I know a lot of people, I'm not against short-term mission trips at all. I'm very, very much in favor of it. But I'm troubled at times by people who get all excited to be evangelistic on a short-term mission trip and have never shared the gospel with a neighbor who's lived across the street for 15 years. I, I am troubled by people who get all excited and pray. God, use us. And go to school every day in a school with 1,400 students and hardly anyone in that school knows that you walk with Christ. What he's talking about is go where you live. That's his prayer. Send out workers in Samaria. Not too long ago, Carrie and I had to put my mom in a memory center. Um, for those of you who have done that before, my hat is off to you. That is just not an easy journey. It's a really difficult journey when your parent whom you um, love and for many years took care of you and then you begin to flip that and you take care of them and, and all of a sudden you walk in the room and they don't know who you are. And there's all of the things that come with it. And I found myself, to be honest with you, praying, God, just take her home. We're done. She's lived a great life. You know, and um, kind of a sick thought. You probably won't even want me to be your pastor after I tell you the next thing. I, you know, she gets a UTI and I think, oh, praise the Lord. This could be it. She's going home. It's hard to see the memory fade and all of the other things and sometimes the personalities that change and this person who once was your greatest defender now is become someone that's quite agitated and takes it out on you. And I just found myself going, God, why are we doing this? And one day, not too long ago, I was walking into uh, where she was at and God and I were having a conversation. Now, I, in all honesty, I never expect to win these conversations and you'd think I'd be smart enough to quit having them, but I do. Father, would you please take her home? Just be, let's be done with this. It takes a lot of time. It's, a, it's an insane amount of money. They deserve it. That, I, I don't fudge that. It's just, it's an insane amount of money. And, and it's like, Lord, I... I don't need to walk down this path. She doesn't need to walk down this path. And um, I was walking in this thing and uh, I heard the father say, open your eyes. I don't need to open my eyes. I know where her room is. I'm headed there. No, open your eyes. And so I, I walked down the hallways and I began to notice, yes, virtually everyone there is almost non-conversant. So it's not like I walked down the hallways, but then all of a sudden I realized, whoa, there's a nurse 
there's a custodian, there's an aide, and the Holy Spirit said, what are they thirsty for? I don't have an idea. Mark, what are their names? I don't know. Why don't you put a name tag on them, God, then I'll know. And I realized that my prayer was as self-centered as any that I've ever prayed. God, would you just take my mom home? Would you relieve me of this tension? And he was inviting me in that moment, would you go? There's somebody here that I'm drawing. There's somebody here that needs to hear the gospel. There's somebody here that needs to have you pray for them. Quite honestly, it's a lot easier for me to go on a short-term mission trip than it is for me to go to Winsong Memory Center and to live in that place redemptively, hopefully, expectantly, that the harvest at Winsong is ripe. When Jesus was praying, I want you to go, at this point, he's not talking about the uttermost parts of the world. That comes later. Right now, he's talking about when you walk through Samaria, when you go to the memory center, when you go to the justice office, when you go to Salem Kaiser schools, when you go to the hospital, open your eyes. What do you see? Are you distracted with all the politics or do you see the thirst? Do you see the hunger? Do you see the brokenness? Do you see the alcoholism? Do you see the licentious living that is a person longing for somebody to love them and keeps giving themselves away sexually and never ever gets it back but just yearns for somebody to just love them? Do you see that? This past week we voted in the city of Salem and uh, we turned down a bill that would tax you more uh, for a, a variety of things. I'm not here to speak for that or against that. I'm here to tell you that after it didn't pass, I was driving around the city and I realized they're still here. All of the homeless are still here. And do I think, honestly, for a moment, $27,000 was gonna fix any of that? No, honestly, if I was honest with you, don't think it was gonna fix it. But I found myself just driving around and then I went for a walk and I walked around, don't have to go very far. It's one of the privileges of, of doing church down here. It's hard, I know, for those of you who are parents of young kids, I think you're some of the bravest individuals in the world. I do, I applaud you. Because it's not easy to say, hey kids, let's go and we're gonna go buy you know, 75 homeless on the way and uh, half the time they're gonna be dressing right in front of your kids. You're courageous but they're humans. And I can get all frustrated about the lack of decisions that are being made. 
But if you'll come down here and take a walk with me like I did this week, we'll go out there and we'll look into their eyes and you'll see desperation in their eyes. You'll see hunger in their eyes. And then I have to ask myself the question, God, Jesus, is the sickle still ready right here? What do you believe? Go. One of my favorite quotes is from Spurgeon. He said, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. And if hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. The father had a conversation with me and he said, I'm going to send you. And that's the last one. Because Jesus said, I am going to send you. And I'm going to send her. And she left and she went to town and she told her testimony. And she started bringing her friends back. I want to introduce you to the man who knows everything about me. And most amazingly, he knows my thirst. And he knows my background. And he doesn't condemn me. In fact, he loved me. He talked to me. We're not just recipients of God's grace. Not if we're followers of Christ, we're conduits. And when you go to work tomorrow, God is sending you there. And he wants you to open your eyes and he wants you to pray and he wants you to pray, God, would you give me insight into their life? Would you help me see their desperation? Would you help me see their thirst? And would you help me look at them not as people who vote differently than me, people who live differently than me, people who sleep with somebody different than what I think you should be sleeping with, but let me see a person made in your image whom you died for and you love. Would you send me to them? And the beautiful part of living in Oregon is you don't have to go very far to find them. You move to other states and you got to call through all the believers to get to the non-believers. Here, they're all over you. What a privilege to live here. Because my friends, God has sent us here. He has sent us here. He has entrusted this church with this city and many other good churches. And he's entrusted us with the universities that you're going to find communism on. And he's entrusted us with, with schools that you're going to find perversion in. And he has said, go. The sickle is right there. It's ready to harvest. Would you pray that God would open the door because it's harvest time today. There were two brothers who both lived in England. One's name was John, one's name was David. Jonathan graduated and he had made the commitment, I will get rich and I will make as much money as I can. And he did. His brother, David, said, I want to reach the world for Christ, in particular, Northern Africa. And he said to his brother and to his father when he got on the ship, I love you both. I will see you in heaven.
If you look at the Encyclopedia Britannica, under the name Jonathan Livingstone, it says, Jonathan Livingstone, the brother of David Livingstone. The irony of it is, is David Livingstone did not die in England. He died in Northern Africa. The irony of it is that David Livingstone died virtually broke. And yet, even the Encyclopedia Britannica noted Jonathan Livingstone, the brother of David. Why? In a notation later in the article, it says, for 30 years, David gave his life and spent it in an unwearied effort to take the gospel to all of Northern Africa. Would it not be the sweetest thing in the world if in the Encyclopedia Britannica, which doesn't exist anymore, praise the Lord, we can just Google everything. But wouldn't it be the coolest thing in the world if Wikipedia said, Salem First Baptist Church, 170 years have given themselves tirelessly to the evangelization of the entire Central Valley. And God has harvested tens of thousands because they just won't shut up. <laughs> Would that not be the greatest thing? Pray. Pray that your eyes would be opened and that you would see. Pray that you and I would believe, God, you're still saving people and he wants to use you. Pray that you and I would go. And as we're going to the memory center, we will lift up our eyes and we will start learning the names and we will wait for the cues of the Holy Spirit and we will listen for the movements of the Holy Spirit because he's drawing them to himself and he's saying, Mark, you're a finisher and I'm gonna take you over here and your mother is gonna live and I don't care if she doesn't know who you are. She's gonna live until you share the gospel with all that I have apportioned for you to share. And when I'm done with you, then I'll take her home. My friends, I don't pray for my mom to die anymore. I pray that I would open my eyes. And I don't know what it is you're facing or what you're asking God for, but you might want to consider that maybe God wants you to change your prayers. Because maybe God wants to use you to lead a place that you've been thinking, 20 more days till I retire, 30 more days. God actually may just cause your 401k to become a 201k so you can't quit. Because if you quit, there are people there that God says, go, go. Because it's harvest time. Some of you came to church today. You didn't know it. But today is harvest time. It's that day 
where you meet to Jesus just like this woman did. It's that day where you realize, God, you've been drawing me to yourself. It's that day where the Holy Spirit is already speaking to you right now during this message where you're realizing, man, that's happening in my life. I'm feeling convicted of the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm becoming aware of my sin. I am becoming convinced of the death of Jesus Christ for my behalf. Today, my friend, is harvest time. It's yours. It's yours.